Welcome to Rare Bird Radio. I'm Jessica, the self-proclaimed podcast guru for Rare Bird Books. Today we're trying something new. Usually I'm behind the glass, behind the screen, or however else we like to do it. Uh, today I'm behind the mic, so that's different for me. And I have my headphones on, and you have your headphones on. Check. <laughs> it's going to be very different for me. Uh, we're going to see what it's like talking publicist to author, and how that's different from our author to author, or our other various guests that we've been having. So thank you for being my guinea pig. I mean, my first guest. I'm okay with the guinea pig status. (laughs) My first guest today here is Riley Perez, author of What is Real? The Life and Crimes of Darnell Riley. Welcome to my science project. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. So uh, today we're in the studio. I've never done this before. Usually we're recording via cell phone or Skype. What do you think of this? Well, you know. We get it in however we can. <laughs> I've done a couple with you recording. I've been in cigar bars <laughs> in the humidor uh, once because of time. I had to pull over and just make sure I had cell reception. But <laughs> in studio, it's nice and cool, airy. It is very cool, airy. It's not quite as interesting. It doesn't give quite the same kind of a photography background as your cigar shop did. Who was that with? That was with Devin Galladay, right? No, that there was with Peter Leonard. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's we right, were talking um, about what is real and um, his latest book. Um, I just dropped the name. Raylan goes. Raylan to goes to Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't able to smoke in there, but once I came out, <laughs> I lit one up. Perfect. That's the way to do it. Well, as you know, I am not an author. I do not write for a living. Um, I work with Rare Bird as a publicity manager and do lots of things, mostly with my eyes glued to a computer screen, sending what feels like millions of emails. Um, My first question to you is, as an author, how much time do you spend behind a screen or glued to a laptop of some kind or another? Well, everything I do, there's some form of writing to it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if it's sending out query letters. Mm. Um, I think prior to the book publication date in 2018, I may have sent out a thousand emails and, you know, just changing the heading, Mm -hmm. um, cut and paste, you know, may have to switch up uh, portions of the body of the email, but. um, (laughs) I don't know what that's like at all. Right, it's it's laborious, but (laughs) you know, it it pays off and I've asked managers, agents, even publishers, do they even look at query letters? <laughs> uh, is all of my work in vain, you know? Um, and um, actually, the way that I got the attention of my current agent, mm-hmm. um, he says he rarely looks at query letters, and if he does, if it doesn't catch his attention in the first sentence or two, you know, he just <laughs> pushes it to the side and deals with the other 100, 200 emails he has already. And, but he said it was something about the uh, email that I had sent to him that caught him. It was long enough, but short enough and, you know, detailed enough. So uh, maybe I refined <laughs> after the first 500. Maybe he was number 501 that I sent out that week. So it's, uh, it's, I mean, my, my, mobile phone is in my hand and that's your on the road office so I don't know maybe maybe about 30% of my day is spent 
punching out some kind of email, some kind of <laughs> message. Yeah. So for those of us who maybe aren't an author and aren't having to pitch things, you want to tell our listeners what kind of letter that is? A query letter. So in the olden days, that's if you didn't have uh, an inside connection to Hollywood, you know, someone in Oklahoma who doesn't, who didn't grow up in LA, who doesn't know any actors, friends that are producers or mm -hmm. current writers, uh, a query letter is the old school way of saying, here's who I am, here's what my project is, and this is what I believe the my audience would be, and would you mind taking a look at? Yeah, most uh, agencies, production companies, managers, um, they won't take unsolicited material. So your query letter serves as your, uh, as as this is this is a, the project I have. Will you now look at it? And then you wait for them to say, yeah, send it over to me for legal reasons that they don't want to read through unsolicited material. So you and your book provide quite an interesting story how many letters did you get responses from for this particular book that you were just like that were I guess interested in a visceral capacity but maybe not in a actual publication capacity uh, I'd say about out of a maybe 1500 query letters to managers and agents um, I received three responses back from agents who said you know it sounds great good luck uh, i represent actors i don't represent on the literary side um, this particular agent uh, who did respond immediately he's at a pretty big agency um, his response immediately was great send over a copy and I thought it was a joke. Uh, so <laughs> at that point, I only had the PDF version of the book. I, I hadn't had the physical copy yet. Mm -hmm. So I sent him over the PDF, and an entire year went by, and I get an email from him a couple of months back, and he says, uh, I finally read the book. It's amazing. You know, send <laughs> over some more material. And I thought it was a joke from one of my friends, so I had to look at the original email chain. And right. I saw that it, you know he was legitimate. So I would say I'm batting about <laughs> 10 responses out of about 1,500 um, Yeah. But now look at you. You're published. It's been, how long has it been now since your book came out? Uh, it's been over a year. It, it was, was released in August 2018. So You just had your birthday. I just had my birthday. I looked at the email that I got from Tyson mm -hmm. on the uh, publication date where he said, congratulations, you are officially a published, published author. author. So that, that definitely felt good receiving it that day and then mm -hmm. looking back at it and uh, just constantly... It's like one of those Facebook out. memories that just like, yeah, completely. in case I forgot that I wrote a book, right. here, the internet will remind me. Completely. It definitely <laughs> is a, a feeling of accomplishment. But then what he didn't say to me in that congratulation publication letter was, uh, now the work starts. Oh, yeah. Welcome to my life where right. I get just pre-pub and just after pub and then for the rest of forever. That's where my job comes in. I'm right. here. The like book with lives you. on. Oh, yeah. Got to make sure that everybody remembers about it. Completely. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your story. Just like a brief elevator pitch of what your book's about. Elevator pitch, I would say the... If it, it was a quick and dirty. 
covers day one of incarceration. Okay. Um, somewhat of a fish out of water tale <laughs> where you're, I'm adjusting to a new society. Right. A fully functioning society, hyper-violent society. It has its own rules. And, you know, at the end of the day, well, going through it, I have those moments where I, I wonder which version of myself will emerge at the end of this journey. <laughs> so your book tells the story of Darnell Riley. You want to give a little bit insight to who Darnell Riley is? Sure. So my full name is Darnell Riley Perez. No one ever calls me Darnell. <laughs> uh, the day I was arrested, the, the authorities had the arrest warrant the only name they had on there was Darnell Riley. And as I say in the, in the um, prologue, regardless to what name was on the arrest record, they were taking me in. So when they kept saying, are you Darnell Riley? Correcting them wouldn't do no justice. <laughs> they could have had John Smith on there. My body was going to jail that day. <laughs> and now for some people who maybe haven't read the book yet, um, why did you go to jail? I was a bad guy. Oh, you were a bad a guy. Lot of parking tickets and parking tickets. You know, they, they, they always come back to you. Uh, my crime, the crime that I committed, it it had happened. I did it one year prior to my arrest, and it was the kidnapping of Joe Francis. So, a whole investigation went through. A couple of folks made statements, and eventually, the authorities caught on to me and you know research 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 and figured out where my my crash pad was <laughs> that wasn't in my name mm -hmm. you know and well, which ones of them are right well you know that one there was supposed <laughs> to be my my bat cave where it's just you can i can sit back and not worry about bat? a knock on the door yeah <laughs> right fly on the wall but <laughs> the authorities did their job and they surveilled the place long enough and it just caught me coming back one day. Um, I, actually, I had left early in the morning right before they set up their surveillance. <laughs> so me returning, they had told me that they were about to close up shop for the day. Ugh. But I just happened to be returning. It's about that timing. Yeah, everything is all timing, all timing. Okay, so who's Joe Francis? Because, you know, I'm a millennial and some people like us don't know it. I mean, I do because I read. But. Right. Um, so in the early 2000s, he had come to fame uh, with the Girls Gone Wild video series. So late night infomercials, you'd see that um, his camera crew out. and With wild girls? Uh, girls going wild, yes. <laughs> they would be in, um, you know, Panama Beach, Florida. Right. Cancun, Mexico, spring break time. Right. Spring break locations and a uh, girl get, get a trucker hat or a t-shirt that says girl going wild. Girl gone she wild. shows her boobs or flashes something, acts out <laughs> in a wild manner. Something they may have been doing already. Right. But the uh, added bonus was they get a trucker hat. Woohoo. That was. Because that's yeah. the pinnacle of fashion right there. That was. A trucker hat. This was trucker hat error. So it was. Uh, it was a cool thing for a spring a girl in spring break to get a trucker hat. For I cannot imagine any of my friends now coming back from their spring break being like, I showed my tits and I got this hat. I'd be like, bitch, what were you doing with your life? 
Don't know. A Pass. wasted moment, right? Show your tits for a better reason. I would, I think, yeah. A trucker <laughs> hat would be on the lower Low scale. Low end. Low yeah. end. So the, his video series had caught on and he, you know, made, made some good money off yeah. of it and parlayed that into his own industry of somewhat, you know, sexual. Kind of I mean, pornographic, kind of yeah, not. It was just a, like a level below pleasing. Playboy. Yeah. yeah. Two, three levels below Hustler. Right. But as time goes on and it had become the standard, he had to up the ante. So, you know, then the girls get into making out sessions and now you're just crossing the line. And the the first thing that got him in trouble with the law was some of the girls were underage if they had fake ID identifications or whatever. So crosshairs of the law, then he was arrested down in Panama Beach, Florida for a bunch of charges with underage girls. Because he was a garbage man. Garbage man, not in the sense of trash people who work for like... He's not an actual sanitary, He's not a sanitation worker. worker. Yeah. He's a piece of garbage who is somehow also a human. Not a sanitation worker. Not a sanitation worker because we love napkin. them, because they help us, and we don't have to do it, and their job is awful, and I couldn't do it, so they're amazing. But that actually leads me into my next question. So you don't know this, but I actually talk about you a lot with my friends. Um... You come up in a topics of conversations. I do have friends that work in the sex industry, and I do have friends who are lawyers or in law school. So you come up in conversation quite a bit. And just recently, I was telling my friend about how I think that I was going to use you as my guinea pig. And I was talking to them about your, your story and your um, background and all of these things. And they said that... You are what their professor would call a technical criminal, criminal. To which I responded, what? Because Joe Francis did all of these horrific things and was accused and guilty of, under, of victimizing underage women and sexualizing underage women and just being a garbage man. Your, what you did was technically a crime. It was against the law. And so you are technically a criminal. But in society today with people who are my age, which are millennials, which is something that I keep saying because we were just recorded with Bobby Brown and she kept calling everybody millennials. millennials. right. And so now it's just stuck in my head. With women in my generation who watched sexual abusers and rapists get away, I watched... I'm not even going to talk about how many friends of mine have been sexually assaulted and had all of these horrific things happen to them and the men just get away with it because, oh, they're just young boys. Oh, they're just teenagers. Oh, this, oh, that. So today's society doesn't necessarily view what happened to Joe Francis as a negative thing because he was a horrific person. Not saying that you should commit crimes because crime is bad and jail is bad and you don't want to go to prison. But have you encountered people in this day and age who are, whose response to you, to telling your story is just like, seems fair? I've had a, a pretty wide range of responses. Um, on one end, uh, to give a, a bit of backstory. So in late 2003, I was called to a meeting and told by, by other people what was 
said that he had done to a girl. Right. She was down in uh, Mexico, and she was partying with him freely, agreed to party with him back at his hotel room. Right. And the next morning, she woke up, she realized she was no longer a virgin. So this this lady, her father was connected with guys that I had association with. Right. So I was asked to intervene because I'm out here in Los Angeles. I know the guy. I, I know the terrain. Yeah, the situation as well. Right. So me getting creative in the way that I did, the point, uh, the, the main thing I wanted to do and, and how I went about exacting revenge was to have him every time he goes to his door uh, going forward to be afraid what's on the other end of it. The same right. feeling that this girl had and every time she goes out of her house is is the situation going to happen again. Right. So different people, uh, the various responses I've had from, uh, from folks uh, when they know the backstory, some say without even having to know the backstory, uh, he's a Garbage, garbage man. man. He's a garbage <laughs> man. So, no big deal. I would have done the same thing if uh, if this had happened to my daughter or friends of mine daughter. And then there are some that are sanctimonious and um, you <laughs> You're know, a you bad would, man. Yeah, you would think that I had committed the crime against them. You would think that I had just did it yesterday versus fifteen years ago. <laughs> and you know, as of my life, fifteen years later as if I'm still operating in that fashion. So at the end of the day, um, as, I've, as I've said to folks, um, you know, I, I committed the crime. When I was first interviewed by uh, the New York Post right prior to the book publication, I said this story isn't a, about exacting revenge. It's about my journey from day one of incarceration going forward. So this isn't about me taking shots at Joe Francis, I'm not spiking the ball as if I did some grand humanitarian gesture. <laughs> uh, if someone else believes that you know he had it coming, then that's their opinion. That's their opinion. Um, I I can't. I don't spike the ball. I was the perpetrator. He was the victim in that situation. Of course. So your book is more telling the story of what it was like for you and your experience in prison. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get into. The many officers who uh, I spent nine years incarcerated, so I didn't get into the many officers that, you know, would give me the fist pound because they too held the same feelings about this guy um, for whatever reason. The many inmates who, uh, for various reasons, uh, when the when my crime was profiled on uh, NBC Dateline, um, at one point towards the end. Um, They'd say, I never said who my co-conspirators were, who was on the other end of the phone. So guys on the yard that I had never had conversations with the next day, you know, that you, I held firm to the old criminal code of not talking. Right. So there were many guys that, you know, showed me respect just for that reason alone. Uh, coming back into society and figuring out how, life is going to, how my life is going to be lived going forward. Uh, me writing the book was a matter of me telling my story and, 
if someone takes from it that there is some redemption. Um, if someone takes from it that, you know, is he as violent as some of the things that he talked about in this book? Because, you know, I, I lived in a violent society, so at times I'd have to rise to the occasion. You know, I couldn't just be a sheep walking around <laughs> amongst a bunch of wolves. Right, of course. So I, I don't I don't mince words. I don't try to... I give a fair depiction of, of the world I lived in and, and how I participated in it. Well, that's super interesting. And that, again, very seamlessly, without you knowing it, leads into my next question. Was the book something that you used to kind of readjust back into society? telling your story, getting it out there. How did you feel sharing your story? I knew going in, well, once I was, once I had already accepted the plea bargain after a year of incarceration, I'm, I made the decision that if I'm going to, I, I could finish my sentence and come out and go work in construction or some other field and somewhat live anonymous. Right. Um, meaning that I'll never tell anyone about whoever I start interacting with. Maybe I moved to San Diego or Northern Cal away from L.A. where people know me, uh, where I have, you know, Pan connections. Velocity. Right. So <laughs> if I was to have done that, then the professions that I would have went into would have been far away from entertainment. Right, of course. So I wouldn't have wrote a book. I wouldn't have produced films or whatever things that I've been doing right or I'm either going to pursue the entertainment business that I was already a part of that I have a vocation for I have an aptitude for right uh, and if I do that the best way to reintroduce myself is through writing the book and once again it couldn't be a book where I'm saying how great of a guy I am because I did this <laughs> I wanted to give a fair account a real a real account of the world that I that I lived in and fully participated in and so so making that decision I knew that I was gonna have to deal with backlash um, of in various forms you keep answering my questions before I ask them stop <laughs> it okay backlash go ahead the back backlash yeah I mean and and that comes in in personal relationships as well um, whoever I decide to date, how will their family and friends receive me? Uh, as I said, some have acted as if I committed the crime against them. And of course. Like it was just done yesterday. Right. So um, maybe some people are looking for reasons to hold something against you. And, of course, I give them an easy one considering <laughs> the crime I committed. But... Um, you know, you, I'd, ho I'd look forward to the day that my crimes are parenthetical, that it's in the past, that it's, you know, uh, it's something that you just maybe not even mention, but you know about. Do you think that that day is going to come? Uh, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> uh, Aren't we all? Yeah, I mean, I might win the lottery before that happens. I wish. Right. So then my next question is, how do you feel now that your story's out? We talked just now about how other people feel and how it gives, you're kind of putting yourself out there to not come across like you're hiding anything and it's just something that you're sharing. But what do you feel about it? Do you feel like you have a better chance now that it's out 
all there out in the open instead of just being something that you have to tell every person about that you ever meet. Yeah. You know, when you get ahead, when you get in front of a story, then it becomes there's nothing you have on me. There's no secret that you can. Can't use it against pull me. Pull up. Yeah. Uh, writing the book, I, I feel, is a way to control the narrative. Okay. So this is what I did. This is what I went through. Here's how I talk about it. Right. Do you find value in a literary sense? Mm-hmm. Do you think I wrote a good book? Do you think <laughs> I gave a fair description of, of the world I was in? Right. And if one wants to have some empathy beyond whether they would have, I, I doubt if many people would have been able to accomplish what I did in in committing the crime, right. there were many layers to it, and and in all fairness, I was involved in crime every day of my life in <laughs> oh, some form okay. of fashion. So Got it. I was not like I was a boy scout and I was plucked what? to task to go do this crime. I'm just picturing you in like a Cub Scout uniform being picked. Please go kill this person, or please right. go kidnap this person. And I'm just like, it's the funniest picture in my head. It's a scout's honor. No. <laughs> Yes, it is. Um, okay, crap. I had another question. What was I going to say? Um, oh, yes. What is... So, outside of the book, uh, what's the craziest story that you have for, I don't know, life? And from, maybe from prison. What's something that you la- look back and laugh at? Ooh, look back and laugh at. That's now like a funny story. That you laugh over a cigar and some whiskey. Um, pre-prison, during prison, there's... Yes, both. Um, I guess, I mean, I got a million stories. I, I grew up in Hollywood. I grew up okay. in L.A., so this is home to me. Um, I grew up with um, actors and or folks that later became actors. well-known actors uh, as friends. So... Um, I think a, a Mickey Rourke story. Oh my God! Yes. I mean, he's he's Please. spanned enough generations. Uh, been in the club, and oh there's uh, he has a big contingency of uh, fans from Europe. I and didn't know that, but I'm not shocked. Yeah, I mean, I was in Germany once in a spa, and I saw a magazine with his face on it, and the <laughs> translation was "Why do girls like bad boys?" <laughs> and uh, when I went to get oh, the magazine, man. the people I was with, I said, oh, that's my buddy Mickey. And they, you know Mickey, yeah. And all of a sudden, all of his fame was transferred over to me. And I'm like, Well, yeah, because yeah, obviously you, know. you are the same person. Right, I had to be. But I was in a club with him once in L.A. And there was a bunch of Italian girls that were there. And their boyfriends were there as well. And two of the girls, well, he and I were in a conversation, and two of the girls were looking at him, gaga eyes. <laughs> I didn't exist to them. Oh, no, I of mean, course. They, their eyes were just locked on Only him. Only Mickey. And one of them interrupted and said, Mickey, me. And he says, what? Can we curse on here? <laughs> yeah. Okay, he says, what? You want to fuck me? <laughs> and the girl says, yeah. Yeah. And then he says, you want to fuck Riley too? And she shakes her head, yes, but she never looked over at me. No, because you don't exist. It's whatever. Whatever he says. He was the star. He was the. And it was it was funny in that she was completely oblivious to. uh, (laughs) 
Oh, you're not going to tell me. It was, Riley. It was a, it was a funny moment. That <laughs> moment. Anything else that may or may not have taken place after that was, yeah. For your own mind only? Yeah. That's boring. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just being mean. I'm an old man He'll that tell smokes me. cigars. <laughs> All right. So that's pre-prison. That was pre-prison. And prison, at, you know, as, as violent as prison is, as crazy as it is and boring as it is at times. Right. Um, humans, the ability for humans to tell stories, it's, you know, it's... I'm it's sure it's incredible. It's like incredible in a weird way. Yeah, it's it's Creating what we a, a, can take back going thousands of years of right. human existence. That uh, storytelling in its many forms, rap music is <laughs> right. You know, storytelling. Yeah, you, you have it. Yeah, uh, guys that are that have a a deep passion for music that get a guitar in there and you know they break out an impromptu um, musicals. I mean, not like a I want, whole musical oh my going gosh. on in prison. I'm but. just like picturing, oh man, so good. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, on a daily basis, there'd be some, there'd be some oddball stuff. But yeah. uh, it was always funny to me when you'd see the bully get his comeuppance. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, you, there's a guy, each group. You know, you, uh, a black guy is not going to bully a white guy in there because each groups they have their own world. It's clickish. Yeah. So every every now and then you'd see a guy who's a part of a group who you can tell he thinks he's the shit, the tough <laughs> guy on the yard. Right. But you know, you're tough, but you know, you can only hold off so many guys at once. Of course. So what would be funny to me, maybe in a sick way, is every now and then you see the guy who really thinks he's the shit. And you know he's, you know, bullied a couple guys in his in his crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know you're only as tough as the next guy that's about to hit the yard. That's even tougher. Who right. doesn't mind leading with his fist? Of course. So that would be funny to me when you see someone get put in their place who's just really, you know, that that's the guy in society who may be smacking his wife, smacking his kids. And, you know, he has no uh, he has no governor in his life. But once he's in prison, he's he's around other tough guys. And mm-hmm. he's, so uh, in a sick way, that was funny. To me. That is kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, I can see it. I'm think, sitting here thinking about like people who were bullying me in high school and, and not not college. That was a whole different story. But like when I was a kid, watching them grow up and being nothing Right. Or amounting to nothing. Their just best like, days were in high school. Look there. at what you did. Yeah. Oh man, I cared so deeply about what you said to me on whatever fifth period. Oh darn, look at me now. Right. I'm suffering. So I get it. Like it makes sense. I think that everybody or anybody who's been bullied at all sees a little bit of comedic relief in a way to see their bully or just bullies in general get put in their place get yeah. told like and hey a couple stop times, being a dick a couple of times with the with the the bullies that i've witnessed once they have been put in their place you see their attitude change and they're a bit more humble if only everybody behaved that way right right so <laughs> yeah it's uh goliath figuring out that uh david exists that is the greatest metaphor i think for a bully that I have ever heard because everybody everybody thinks that they're David at one point or another. Everybody thinks that they're on top of the world. Everybody thinks that they're the biggest and the strongest and then they turn around and they're not. Right. So that's actually really, of the stories of the Bible that I know, that's <laughs> one of them. <laughs> okay. 
Next question. Ready. Do you have questions for me as the publicist? Publicist. How many emails do you send out a day? Millions. <laughs> I swear to God, I don't know if I have gone a day without sending emails. I've worked for Rare Bird for a little over a year now, produced podcast, done all of the emails, running the social media, doing all the things. Um, my phone never stops buzzing. That's why it's not in here right now in the studio because I would just be, I'm like sitting here watching my emails pop up on my screen and I'm like, nope, don't see Can't you. Can't answer it. Not looking at what you. What are your go-to hashtags? Ooh, that's a good question. For what? If we're talking podcast, if we're talking podcasts, um, it really depends. But if we're talking about just publication for the books or for my books, my generalized ones are hashtag rare bird radio, hashtag rare bird lit, hashtag authors of Instagram, books of Instagram. I have a laundry list of hashtags that I pick from because we publish so many different books because we have like your book. We have Amber Vandebunt's Overcome, which is a memoir. We have, um, what other books do we have? Like we said, Peter Leonard's Raylan Goes to Detroit is a fiction book. We have Jacqueline Suskin and her poetry series, Sean The Edge Penn's. of the Consonant. Oh, Sean Penn, yeah, also novel. somebody. Yeah. His second novel, uh, Bob Honey sings Jimmy Crack Corn. Jimmy Crack Corn, right. Um, we just put out Bella Thorne's poetry book. That's the life of a wannabe mogul. We're all across the board, so I don't really have a like a go-to series of hashtags when it comes to me doing social media type things. But anything that I can get my authors seen in our books seen, um, the best ones are like authors of Instagram, right. bookstagram, you know, a hashtag that I came across, I did the first Rare Bird podcast with Tyler Knight, uh, right. Burn My Shadow. Right, right, right. Um, book porn. I love that one. That's <laughs> such a good one. I use that one a lot too, especially right. if... And my book's not about porn, but <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, it's... But if you look on our Instagram, when we post pictures of it, hashtag book porn is attached to it because I right. have... I, I Anything that is promoting the cover or the actual physical book. I list it with book porn, with just regular hashtag books, with bibliophile, I think is the newest one that I've added because Instagram has decided that we're trying to be... More astute. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. That's a, that's a, that's a nice way to put it. But I mean, Instagram's gotten huge and it's kind of insane. The weird little things that you need to do trigger words that you need to have to post and to get seen. Um, and my goal one day is to have our books just pop up on people's screens. I try to get our books and our podcasts and our authors to pop up in any capacity that I can. So I just tag the shit out of everything. Right. Because uh, were you talking about the numbers game earlier when we were talking with Bobby or in your podcast with Bobby Brown, author of Cherry on Top? About dick pics, I think. Yeah. Playing the numbers how game. Many, yeah, how many dick pics she gets from... I, I do that with our books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just push them out as far as I can to everybody. Uh, yeah, we were talking about how... Millennials. How the guys that send her dick pics are playing a numbers game. At some point, some girl will, will respond and say, hey, I like it. Let's meet for drinks. I don't know of any woman who has received a dick pic... Unsolicited. Unsolicited. Right. That has been like, yes, I love this penis. I want to find I out want, where's the who's the face attached to this. I cannot. Uh, I I have so many opinions about that. When we were when I was producing that, 
I was dying in the background because I think you were talking about dating apps and how... She's on Bumble. Oh, she's on Bumble, that's right. But how Bobby was... How, how dating used to be before technology took over. Um, and how... And I was laughing because I never existed in the dating world prior to prior technology. to dating apps yeah which is a weird experience for me because now i'm sitting here and i have younger siblings and a whole lot of a whole other series of humans that are younger than me now and it's just insane of me to think like none of them played outside as children right none of them had to do anything like People don't go to Panama City for spring break anymore. They just like watch shit on Netflix and do nothing. And they watch the old Girls Gone Wild shit because they don't have to do it. They have everything in their hands. How do you actually approach someone uh, at a festival, at a bar, and and start a conversation? You go with people. I don't think I have talked to strangers at a bar ever. Actually, that's probably not true. I'm super extroverted and I talk to everybody. I'm right. a fan of being the center of attention. Just stepping out of your, uh, your, your comfort what zone. What now is the comfort zone right. for millennials, which means I have to interact with the wider world. Right. Who does that? So <laughs> that, I guess, makes oh, me Oh, people think... with gray hair like me. <laughs> you don't have gray hair. Riley, don't lie to the audience. Uh, it's true because I have no hair on my head. <laughs> all the gray is in my beard. <laughs> Ah, I see what you do there. I don't know. You rock the bald head. It works. It works for you. Very few options. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad I got a decent shape head that, that it works. It does work. It does work. So then my my last question is going to be, because we were just talking about millennials, do you think that your story has any, I guess we're going to go with, does it, appeal to millennials in you think a oh i'm interested in how prison is or do you think that millennials read it and take away a learning experience from it uh i'll give a good example uh to answer that question so all last year i was speaking at different schools and universities so i spoke at usc um, gold school of law to a a class of attorneys that are from foreign nations. Uh, There were maybe four folks from Armenia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, a couple from the different uh, uh, nations in Asia, China, Korea. So they were all here in the U.S. to get certified to be able to practice law in the the U.S. In the U.S., Being that they were already lawyers in their home countries. And to open the... Uh, the reading of my book to this this class, I start off with statistics. Uh, how many folks are incarcerated in California? Uh, the various levels of incarceration and interaction with the criminal justice system and throughout America. Which is insane, by the way. Uh, so high. Pretty staggering numbers, yeah. So then I use that to flow into the... Uh, and I actually say, you know, I was one of these folks, one of these numbers, statistics, and then I go into day one of the reading of my book. Uh, A week later, I'm speaking at a charter school in the Valley, um, middle, lower middle income community. But this charter school, um, their focus is business. Okay. So I go into the school with, 
no preconceived notions. I'm going to see how it flows out. I haven't been around teenagers in forever. <laughs> They're insane. Yeah, so I start the story with this class um, with somewhat of a once upon a time story. And my once upon a how time story was, you know, I have never met a bank robber who started it off his first crime robbing a bank. He started it off picking five bucks out of his mom's purse. He mm -hmm. started off doing this and that, stealing candy from the store with his buddies. Right. And if he got busted, his story was, well, next time I'll do it like this because now I know. Or he'll make up an excuse as to why he got busted. You know, my buddy ratted on me or this or that. Um, you know, we'll tell ourselves anything to be able to get to the next level. Right. So I started that and then went into my reading, giving it the personal feel of how I started with these little moments and mm -hmm. I get successful and I continue on and push the envelope a little bit further. And even when I did get pinched in my early, um, you know, uh, juvenile delinquency days, right. it was always an excuse of why I got caught and how I can do it better next mm -hmm. time. So the questions I got from the lawyers. Right. And the questions, the questions that I received from this this high school class of mm -hmm. juniors and, and seniors, they were pretty equal. In, oh, really? In the depth of, you know, how interesting. Yeah, it was it was it was very interesting because they were one week apart, uh, so it was pretty fresh to me. But the high school students, they were so focused, and some of them, you know, maybe had a family member, as as one kid said, you know, had a family member that was incarcerated, and they wanted to know. Um, more of the emotional versus there wasn't the interest of, um, you know, there was nothing about was it cool or how cool <laughs> was it was. It cool? There were actual in-depth questions that, you know, they that told me they internalized it. Right. Um, what kind of questions did they ask? Uh, one was, um, you know, why do you have to choose a side? They're in this class, and it's uh, a mix of mm -hmm. black, brown, yellow, right. white. Everybody. And these are their friends. Uh, their shared interests, films, television, hip-hop, whatever, whatever it might be, is what bonds them together as a community. But you're telling me that once someone goes in there, I have to be on this side and I can interact with, or I have to have that person as my enemy? That was a, That was foreign to you're talking this about via students. skin color, correct? Via ethnic group and okay. uh, gang association. Got it. Uh, that comes with being in, incarcerated. Yeah. So it to them it was well, that sounds that sounds horrible. Which is adorable, and I love that our kids these days are seeing it that way. Um, I, I love that their their concern was I can't be friends with someone of a different color. Right. Like right. that's. I love that. I taught high school for two years before coming to Rare Bird. Fresh out of high school, you taught high school. Right. Uh, shh. I'm older than that. Thank you, Riley. And I taught in a low-income, mostly Hispanic school where it was not in the Valley. It was out in L.A. County still. Um, I taught out in Pomona. And my kids were so interested in the fact that I chose to work Teach at their there. school. Right. Um, because I was the only white teacher. I didn't realize you were white. How about that? <laughs> wow. I bet those kids were really it was, flabbergasted. It was crazy. And they were 
the reception that I got in that school, I grew up in, in a mostly Hispanic neighborhood. I spoke Spanish until I was in first grade, I think. Back in my day, they told me I couldn't speak Spanish to the other kids because I was not helping them learn English. And wow. I'm like, that's so fucked up thinking about it now. <laughs> and I wish that I had punched that teacher in the face and been like, hey, Spanish would help me now. Thank you. Right. Why did you make me stop speaking it? But it is very interesting seeing the kids these days and how different they are from when I was in high school, which, as Riley keeps pointing out, was not very long ago. Not very long ago. But... It was long enough ago for it to be a difference. Right. And it makes me really happy hearing about a school that you went, the school that you went to that was maybe in a lower income class or area, neighborhood. It was in Pacoima. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And it makes me... Excuse me, Panorama City, which is not too different from Pacoima. From Pacoima, but but close enough. I, I understood the demographics there. And I like to hear that these high school students were concerned and interested in the racial discrimination and the delineation and um, ethnic background that is happening in prison. And also it makes me really happy to know that they asked the same kind of questions that the lawyers asked. Right. Because kids are so smart these days. Yeah. They were as emotionally invested as, as intellectually invested as well. So uh, it, that was an eye opening experience. Mm -hmm. And then I had went back to both places at separate times. Uh, maybe a month later. Okay. To have the follow-up with a whole different group. Class, yeah. Yeah, and it still be the same response. That was a that was a good feeling. That's awesome. So hearing for you and your on your side as the writer, as the it being your story. What do you? What is your purpose? What do you want to bring out of your book? What do you want? What do you want to happen? Who is your target? audience anyone with eyes and the ability to (laughs) everybody on the planet yeah uh, i i didn't have any major goal in setting it out i didn't set out to say hey now you can um not be afraid of me because (laughs) i wrote a book uh i just gave you in many parts of the book where i'm in some some very trying situations right uh, i've had people who women whom are in their 60s 70s with questions and um, what would I do you know that's the the way that Mm -hmm. they've you know like what their situation like Uh, what would they do it from their perspective yeah if you are about to be attacked or you have been attacked and you have the opportunity to strike back at your attacker Mm -hmm. granted um, if someone steals my car, I'm, I'm, I'm in free society. I'm, I'm going to call the cops first. Right. right? Absolutely. Call the police right. if crimes happen. Please. So Thank we you. know the rules of the road in prison, <laughs> uh, are you don't rat. Right? right. So there is no, I'm going to call the cops because my car just got stolen <laughs> or my version of the car in prison. My, right. my Your walk book or whatever. Yeah. So confrontation is first thing always. You know, confrontation first, ask questions later. Right. So there isn't time to sit around and wonder, what will I do about this? You're going to respond because if you don't, you have to answer to your group and everything else that comes with that. Right. So, you, you know, it, it's it's not a perfect society. These are the rules for that world. And mm-hmm. you're going to abide by these rules or you're just going to be a perpetual victim in there. Right, of course. That's it. That's for everyone to understand. And now you can react Mm -hmm. respond so 
many folks have said, yeah, I would like to think that I would still be myself, but you know, there are no individuals there. You know, right. the group takes precedence. The group survival takes precedence over your individual. I have a release date in two weeks. Well, Good for there's you. a riot happening right now. Yeah. And your participation is greatly accepted. accepted. <laughs> and if you don't, you know, you might get stabbed from this, that, that, the way, who, whatever might happen that happens in a riot, chaos. Yeah. There is no, well, I get released in two weeks, so I'm going to just walk over to this side of the fence. Well, the group that's coming at you doesn't care about Doesn't that. give a shit about that. Right. So th that's not a perfect world. It's, right. It's, it's the world that I lived in, though. And that's the rules. So seeing uh, ro folks reading it, reading my, my story and mm -hmm. the various situations that came up on a, a daily basis f folks get a chance to say how would i respond how would i re you know react to this situation and you know just to let them they then see that it's not like all oh, the good guys over here all the bad guys over there in prison mm -hmm. and i'll never have to worry about that right well i broke rules i broke laws that other humans in this society, society. voted on and right. we agreed to these are right these are wrong so we're all subject to the Those rules. rules right yeah so it's not like one could never find themselves in prison right of course just break a rule that we've all agreed to is bad <laughs> and you'll see that you have to deal with it but ladies and gentlemen let's not break let's rules. not no you Breaking don't just just bad. read the book and find yeah. out how it could live be vicariously through riley and his past all right. Um, well, this was lovely. Thank you for being my science experiment. Thank you for letting me be your science experiment. Where can we find your book? Ah, where would you suggest as a PR person now for one to go first? Let's go to your favorite independent bookstore, indiebound.org. You can type in What is Real? The Life and Crimes of Darnell Riley. And you can find any independent bookstore near you. It doesn't yes. have to be out here in LA. It could be wherever you live. We were talking about Minnesota earlier. Minnesota has lots of independent bookstores. Yeah. I always plug Diesel Bookstore where I Ooh, did my Diesel, uh, launch that's party. That's a good place. Good, good. Whenever good. they get online orders, I'll go in and sign. Ooh, look, that are from out of secrets state. just from coming from, from this podcast alone. Bam. Diesel Bookstore has signed copies of Riley's book. And I'll go in and if, if someone ordered from out of state and they had a, mm -hmm. a particular entry they want in their book, then I go in and I'll make that happen. That's awesome. Book Soup's a good place as well. Book Soup's a good place. You can also find his book at uh, rarebirdbooks.com, which is... a good place. You may have heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of it once or yeah. twice, uh, maybe a little bit. Um, also, you can find us, Rare Bird, at Rare Bird Lit on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. At the same, at Rare Bird Lit. Do you have any Damn. social media? Yes. Um, Riley P77 on Instagram, okay. Twitter, and all that. Fantastic. Yeah. You can find it on Amazon if one likes to shop on shop Amazon. Shop on Amazon, but support all of these small bookstores. Book we uh, definitely advocate for small businesses. Thank you, Brain, for using it correctly. Um, support your small business. Support all of these independent booksellers because we want to keep books alive. And independent bookstores are how you are kept alive. Completely. And how your book is kept into the hands of everybody in the world as you had wanted. All right. Thank you for joining us here on Rare Bird Radio. I'm Jessica, the podcast guru for Rare Bird. And I'm here with Riley Perez, author of 
What is Real? The Life and Crimes of Darnell Riley. Stay tuned for more from us here at Rare Bird Radio.